Welcome to the Pursuing Life Podcast. I'm your host, Monica Kirsch. Every week, I'll be sitting down with people from the Calvary Church family to hear stories of what God is doing in, around, and through them as they take intentional steps to pursue life in Jesus Christ. We believe that storytelling is powerful. God has made himself known to us through the stories of the Bible. Jesus told parables or small stories to teach kingdom lessons to his followers. And God continues to write stories of his goodness and faithfulness through the lives and experiences of his church, ordinary people just like you and me. We all have family, yet no two families are alike. For some of us, family brings to mind the people who are or were most directly related to us our parents, siblings, children. For others, family is untraditional. It's the people who extended love when we most needed it. And yet, for some, we acknowledge that family is a reminder of brokenness, that on this side of heaven, things are just not the way they're supposed to be. The Bible has a lot to say about family. It's filled with genealogies and stories of generations who followed God, albeit not always perfectly, who are used to advance his story and kingdom. It's ultimately a reminder that in Christ, we always belong in God's family, adopted as his sons and daughters. We're kicking off our series with a story about foster care. In 2019, Melinda Smith and her husband, Nate, became certified for foster care and quickly found themselves matched with a newborn baby girl. In the years that followed, God worked in the Smith family to teach them what it looks like to extend love to the world around them, even when it's uncomfortable or inconvenient. Today, Melinda shares how the love of God through the work of the Holy Spirit changed and grew their family in a way they never could have imagined. So let's jump right in. Melinda, this has been a conversation that I've been looking forward to for a while. (laughs) And we'll get into why it's taken a little bit longer to tell it. But thank you so much for being here and coming on Pursuing Life. Thanks for having me. This is truly an honor. So to start, can you introduce yourself and tell us your connection with Calvary Church, how long you've been here, a little bit about your family and those types of things? Sure. Yeah. So my parents both work here at the church, so they're on staff, and we moved here when I was in seventh grade. So I've been a part of Calvary Church since middle school, and it's been truly a blessing and crucial in my walk with the Lord. My husband, I met here at Calvary as well in C4 ministry. So I've been involved in the youth group in C4, and we met when we were in our 20s, and then we got married in 2014. We have three biological children and one foster daughter. We have three boys, so ages six, four, and three months. Um, so I'm a little sleep deprived today. <laughs> so I'm sure many can relate to that. I'm, yeah, I'm functioning on not all cylinders, but very thankful for our family. And we've been involved. Nate and I have served in student ministry, which has been just an incredible blessing. We've taught the two-year-olds down in Beginners. We love our ABF C128, and our small group has been also a huge blessing to us, crucial to our walk with the Lord as well. So we're really grateful for the family at Calvary Church. Yeah, and the fact that you kind of grew up through Calvary and now your boys get to do the same, that must be really special for you. It is. It really is. (laughs) (laughs) Plus, it helps to have a grandma who gets to greet them down in their classes. That's so so true. They probably feel like this is a little bit of a second home. (laughs) It is. Yeah, sure. For sure. (laughs) Well, you mentioned that you have a foster daughter and that's kind of 
why you're here to tell this story that really started through this decision that you and Nate made to step into foster care. So I want to kind of start there with why foster care? Take us all the way back to the beginning. When did you start that? When did you make that decision? And why did you decide to pursue it? So back when Nate and I had been dating, when we knew that we were going to be married, we talked about our values and family and our desire to have a family. And very early on, we both knew that we wanted adoption to be part of our family. So we didn't know what that was going to look like and how that was going to come about. But it was a conversation that we had very early on, and it was an ongoing conversation. So by the time we had both of our our two oldest, Jude and Wyatt, um, Wyatt was about a year and a half old. And we, the conversation came up again and it was, you know, what does this look like for our family? And we just really didn't know. And I was talking to my dear friend about it and she works for the county. Okay. And at children and youth. So we ended up having her over for dinner because she's like, have you ever considered foster care? And we were (laughs) like, no, we haven't. So she came over for dinner and we, she kind of just laid it out for us. What, what it's all about, what it looks like. And we did a lot of praying. She has been such a gift to us this whole journey. She gave us wonderful resources. So we spent about a year um, listening to podcasts, reading books, mm-hmm. talking to other foster families, just kind of trying to understand like the vision for what foster care is, or I should say what it should be. <laughs> sure. um, and we really latched on to the idea of supporting families and walking alongside families and helping families to heal and helping parents to get back on their feet and, you know, being, being a safe place for children. So we, that's kind of where that vision for foster care came from. And in October of 2019, we became licensed and then we got our, our call for our foster daughter in December of 2019. So two months between the time we were licensed and the time we got our first call. Okay. Were you expecting it to be that fast? No. (laughs) Um, And it just really depends. It depends on, you know, what you say you're willing to, you know, take. So like we said we would be able to take care of any children ages one or zero to three. Okay. Just, and that was a decision we made based on the children's that we had in our home, you know, like the ages that they were. And I think, you know, if we would have gotten a call for like a five-year-old, we would have said yes, but kind of around that range was our decision. And so, and honestly, we just didn't know, like every family is so different. So every situation is different. So we were kind of surprised to get a call that fast, especially for a newborn, because usually it's more rare to have a call for a newborn. Um, usually family will step in to take care of a newborn. So it was it was a surprise. But nonetheless, we, we said yes. And the rest is history. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So she was how old? She was three days old. Three days. Yeah. So we picked her up from the hospital. Um, and actually we got a, when we got the call, they said it was a boy. <laughs> really? Yes. And then they realized they went, came back and said, actually it's a girl. So we oh said, well, we're, well, either one is fine. So, yeah. um, but yeah, so we picked her up from the hospital and that experience was really challenging and vulnerable for both parties. Just, you know, and as a mom, like I can't imagine, I don't, I don't care why you are involved in foster care. It's, unimaginable to have a stranger walk into your hospital room and take your child from you that you just birthed. Mm -hmm. So a lot of prayer went into that meeting and we look back now with her, with her parents, we look back and we just, we just smile at that first meeting because 
so much has happened in the, <laughs> since then. Um, but it was definitely really awkward, to be honest, yeah. and really uncomfortable. And we just prayed over that time that they would sense our love for them mm-hmm. upon first meeting. And yeah, so it was it was really tough. But so we she came home with us that night and then we continued on with her case. Wow. Is that typical for a foster parent to meet the biological parent when it's a newborn like that? I honestly, I, it depends on the situation. So I think just because of the situation, it is pretty typical to, you know, like you would meet if they're born and you're picking them up as a newborn, you would meet them at the hospital. Okay. Sometimes you're meeting a social worker and you're not actually meeting the bio parent. So I'm not sure how rare it is. It felt really uncomfortable, (laughs) like I've said, but, um, and I think it just depends, you know, on the like the safety of the situation and mm-hmm. just so many different factors. But in our case, like we were able to meet them um, and the social worker was there as well in the room. Yeah. Yeah. So once you had her in your care, what did life look like with a foster child? Very busy. And <laughs> very. I always say the key word of my life was flexibility at okay. that time. It was utter chaos. Mm-hmm. Honestly, um, we had a three year old. Um, a 21 month old and a newborn. And it was just, you know, what people I think sometimes don't realize is, you know, foster care isn't, I'm just taking a child in and, and they're kind of becoming part of your, your family. It's there's visits, you know, twice a week. Um, we had at minimum twice a week visits that were two or three hours long. And so we would have to drive into the city, you know, drop her off, pick her up. And it was a lot, of course, you know, often it would there would be tantrums getting in the car and just, and at times, you know, I look back on that time and I think, what was I, I was, that was insane. (laughs) How did I do that? And honestly, I just think like it was truly, well, number one, it was the Lord. He gave us strength for each day. And also I think it was so valuable to teach our young children that being flexible and uncomfortable for the sake of loving others it, it matters. Mm-hmm. And and we would have conversations with our three-year-old in the car. Like, I know you wanted to keep playing with your toy, but right now, you know, baby girl needs to see her, her mommy and daddy. And we're going to do that for her. And yeah. so just teaching from a very young age, I think there was such a huge opportunity to expose our kids to tangible what it looks like to live out the gospel, which is also a huge reason why we just loved foster care and love foster care because it's what better way to teach your kids how to love other people and to lay themselves down than to do this. So yeah, exactly. Can you briefly touch on for those that aren't familiar with foster care and, and kind of what goes into it, what is the goal of foster care? And also like when you went into this whole thing, did you have like an expected outcome in mind with your foster daughter's particular situation? Yeah. So this is obviously a loaded question. And I think it's, again, there's so many things that go into every case. So it's just, you know, it's so hard to like make a blanket statement. Right. But generally foster care, the goal of foster care is to reunify families. Mm -hmm. So the goal is to kind of come alongside of a family and to, um, and actually now the language has changed. They no longer call us foster parents. They call us resource parents. Interesting. And I think it's more appropriate because mm. my job is to be a resource mm-hmm. and to, yeah, walk alongside a bio parent and help them to be a resource to them and yeah. help them, you know, to get back on their feet, to, you know, be maybe an example of like how to parent or whatever. 
So yeah, the goal of foster care is always to reunify a family, to keep a child with their bio family, to provide the resources that they need to be together. And then secondarily, at times, it does turn to adoption. And Mm -hmm. so as a foster parent, at least in Lancaster County, when you become licensed, they make it very clear, you know, the goal is to reunify, but also if you can be a resource permanently, that that is also a secondary goal. And that has, I think the language of that has shifted over the years. I think sure. there's always kind of like a misconception of, you know, people ask like, well, are you fostering to adopt or are you just fostering? And I, and now that's kind of, that's no longer, there's not really that separation, mm-hmm. at least for Lancaster County, some private agencies still use that language. But either way, I do think it's helpful even just for the heart of the foster parent to recognize like the goal is to reunify a family. Yeah. So for you, since the language has shifted since you started, what was your expectation going into it? I think what was always really helpful was from day one, we really tried to not have expectations. And I think it was really helpful to just keep that in mind, even when you know, we had multiple caseworkers along the way say, you are definitely going to adopt this little girl. There's Mm. no question. And even when they would say that, you know, Nate and I would just look at each other and remind each other, nothing is final until it actually is. And our goal is still to reunify this family. Mm. And so I think because of the, the prep work that we had done with really understanding the heart behind foster care, that really helped us. I think it would have been very easy to kind of, and I I still was hard, you know, of course, to have the constant ever-changing goals happening. But I would say, you know, our expectations, we really tried to keep our hands open with Mm -hmm. expectations Mm -hmm. as far as how the outcome would be of the case. Um, But yeah, like I said, along the way, I mean, there was, one month we would be told we were going to adopt her. The next month we were told a family member, you know, is going to take care of her and she's going to move out of our home next week. And then that changed. And so things just, it changes like every week, literally. Mm -hmm. So I think as far as, you know, knowing what the outcome would be, we really had no clue. Yeah. Yeah. How do you sort of manage your expectations and how do you anchor yourself when things are changing so rapidly like that? Because I know it's one thing to be like, I don't have any expectations, but that can be really hard when so many people are telling you so many things. Oh yeah. So practically, what did that look like for you? It was messy. I think, you know, it wasn't like this pretty, you know, wrapped up in a bow experience. It was a roller coaster. And Mm -hmm. I think I cried a lot of tears. There was moments where we were really sure that we would be adopting her. And I envisioned her 16th birthday and her wedding day. And I envisioned myself being her primary parental figure. I mean, we, we had gone all the way there. And, you know, when things shifted and reunification actually became probable and, you know, actually it was happening, we, we really, I, honestly, the Holy Spirit did a work. Like I, there's no other way to describe it. He anchored me and he reminded me that my job was to love her. Mm-hmm. As long as she was in my care, my job was to love her to keep her safe, to provide an environment where she could thrive and to honor her parents. That was always, always the goal was to keep her, her parents honored in the way that I spoke about them, the way that I thought about them, because she was listening too. And so I think that that helped as things were constantly changing. Nate and I really reminded each other of those things. And that did help us 
yeah, in those situations when it was unsure. Yeah, for sure. What did your relationship with her parents look like during that whole time? So our relationship with her parents has changed tremendously. I mean, when we first met in that hospital room, you know, we, we kind of sort of joke about it, but, you know, her, her dad couldn't even look at us. He couldn't even look us in the eye. He was angry, yeah. and as any parent would be. Mm-hmm. And over time, we earned trust from each other and showed love to each other. And honestly, like, I can look back with full confidence knowing that nothing that we did was creative on our part. It was truly the Holy Spirit prompted us to do things. Like, we we made a journal and we started writing to them. Mm-hmm. So we would send this journal along with her and her visits because our interactions with them were very short. When we would drop her off, it was like one minute, quick handoff, and that was it. Mm. We were advised not to give them our phone numbers, so we we did have email, but it was really spotty whether or not we would hear from them. Mm-hmm. COVID hit when she was three months old, so we went six months without hearing a single word. Wow. Um, no visits were cut off. Like It was a crazy time mm. to be in foster care. I am sure. The courts, it was a mess. And mm-hmm. so it, you know, it was just up and down our relationship back and forth, and uh, I think you know, the Lord just kept prompting us like to show them that we love them. And so we, we had this journal and they started writing back after a few months. So we had that back and forth. And now she has that to look at as she gets older, which is really special. Mm -hmm. Um, and then eventually, you know, after about 18 months, something really shifted and they were really making huge strides towards their reunification goals. And we started to see this, this big shift, And we decided that we were going to give them our phone numbers. So Mm -hmm. we wrote them a letter and basically said, we are all on the same team and we want you to have our phone number because we want to really have a relationship with you. And we feel like it's hard to do that in the time that we have. So they texted us and they started coming to our house. We invited them over for dinner and over the next span of the next six months from like her time when she was 18 months to age like two, our relationship really kind of took off and it really felt like family. And I think that there was just mutual respect, mutual trust. And I mean, now we celebrate the holidays together. We are just one big family and it's truly just the Lord just orchestrated that. And he did a huge, huge work. Yes. It's, it's amazing. And I mean, it's only God, right? Yeah. No, nobody else could have orchestrated what has happened. And I don't want to get too far ahead because, as you said, reunification became the goal at one point. Yeah. And so at what point did that happen? And what else was happening in your life at that point? How was that for you? What was that process like? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I don't want to paint this picture of, oh, it was just all wonderful. You know, of course, of course it was hard. And at the time that reunification was really kind of pushing forward, we had found out that I was pregnant with our third. Mm. And within a couple of months, I started having really severe physical complications. I had migraines, vertigo, to the point where my husband was struggling to like get into work. Like I just couldn't be alone. Mm. And, um, at one point I was very, very sick and ended up in the ER 
to find out that I had been, I had contracted COVID and it was a really rough bout of COVID. Um, and on the way to the ER is when we got the call that she was moving officially. Oh my God. So it was just, <laughs> I did not know that <laughs> it was, it was intense. It was, and I mean, we literally had to just put the phone down and say, we'll deal with that later, you know? Mm-hmm. So coming home then and, and just working through some of the side effects of COVID and just, we had then like a month of sickness in our home, anxiety and depression to a level that I've never experienced before became part of my life. Mm-hmm. I, I was experiencing multiple times a day, very intense panic attacks. I could not get out of bed. I couldn't take care of my kids. I had family members coming over to feed them meals and take care of them because I could not do it. It was very, very challenging and very scary time. And that lasted for, I would say, three months. And that was the last few months that we had with her. And so I was also processing, you know, grief of she's leaving and I'm, I'm not present. I'm not there for her. So it was a really dark time for me, honestly, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. It kind of felt like, Lord, you have been working through this whole experience it and you've been walking us through you led us here and now you're just leaving us like you're just dumping us off to pick up the pieces of this mess now I know that's not true but that's how it felt Mm -hmm. so yeah I had to work through a lot of tough dark moments yeah so let's take a minute to talk about mental health it's kind of a hot topic in culture right now But it's also something that sometimes we can be a little bit afraid to touch on in the church. Sure. So how have you sort of navigated through that tension? And what steps have you taken to care for yourself? What has been helpful? Maybe what has not been helpful for you personally? Yeah. I mean, we could record a whole nother episode about this. (laughs) I know, we could. Um, I mean, I would just say, I think you know, this isn't my first run in with anxiety and depression. I've experienced some of it when as a young adult in early marriage years. But I would say, you know, growing up, my view of mental health, anxiety and depression and mental health issues, it truly was like, in my mind, a reflection of a lack of faith Mm. or a lack of trust in God. And I mean, now I just look, look at that and I think that is just so wrong. And I think for me, coming to the point of realizing that that is not the case has been spending time in scripture. I think you look at Psalms and I think most of Psalms is David having a mental health crisis, you know? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) He is crying out to God. He is at his absolute, the end of himself. Mm -hmm. He is, I would argue, having a panic attack many times when you read through the Psalms. And I don't think that that's in there, you know, as a coincidence. I think that it's there to show us that, you know, David is, is a man after God's own heart. It's not a lack of faith. It's not a lack of trust. It's part of our, sometimes our human nature to, to question and to be afraid. And that's why we have scripture to remind us that God is with us. He is near, but there's that tension that we live in. And so I think it's been helpful for me. It's given me language to read through the Psalms. It's given me language to pray to the Lord in the midst of anxiety and depression and it's been freeing to realize it's not a lack of faith. Is mm-hmm. That's not why I'm having anxiety and depression. 
and that I can simultaneously experience that while trusting God. So I think what's been, you know, what I've done to take care of myself is definitely counseling. I'm so thankful for Calvary and how they validate that mental health is serious and it's real and there's a need. And Mm -hmm. so we have some wonderful people here at Calvary um, that I've spent time with. Um, Medication has been huge. And I think, you know, honestly, just people in my life who have poured scripture over me when I can't, there's been seasons where I can't open my Bible. I just, I can't, I can't even listen to music. There's been seasons where I just need to be in silence. And I've had friends and family praying over me, reminding me of God's truths, reminding me of his promises, not necessarily to take the heart away, but that he has promised that he is with me and he will never leave me. Mm. That was so crucial for me. So I would say that was what was helpful was people just reminding me of who God is, his character. Tangibly, people took care of my kids. They cleaned my house. They brought me meals. That was really hard for me. <laughs> I I like to do that for other people. And so accepting that help was really challenging. But ultimately, the Holy Spirit reminded me that I'm taking care of you. This is this is me showing up for you and reminding you that I'm here. Mm. I'm taking care of your tangible needs. It's okay to accept that. I think obviously what's not helpful is when, you know, I, I didn't experience this. I'm very grateful. But I think what would not be helpful is to say, oh, you know, you just need to trust the Lord more. Or, oh, at least somebody recently told me, Never say at least, because usually what comes after is just not helpful. <laughs> and it's Amen. so, it's so true. <laughs> yep. You know, cause usually it's just, you're, you're making a comparison that's just not helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, so just don't say at least <laughs> ever. Yes. <laughs> and because hard, hard for, I also have another friend, um, Sarah Dillon, who, who is here at Calvary. She says hard is hard and it's true. Hard is hard. Um, so I would say that would be not helpful. <laughs> yeah, yes, I agree. It's interesting to me that you were taking care of this little girl and you were meeting her needs and feeding her and coming alongside of her so that she could live and have a good home and resources. And yet now in this season, you were kind of experiencing that from the other side of it yeah. where people were coming in and caring for your kids while you needed a resource. And that's kind of wild to me that God almost maybe was showing you a little bit of what you had done for this family. Yeah. Yeah. I never thought about it that way, but that's true. Yeah. I think as foster parents, you know, sometimes, especially as Christian foster parents, you know, there's this idea of like, I'm going in to save the world, you right. know, I'm going to take care of all the kids and all the families. And honestly, that savior mentality is just so unhelpful. Mm-hmm. And ultimately it does, you run yourself into the ground. Yep. And so there was, I think, an aspect of when, when everything happened, when reunification happened, I just fell apart because I had been working, almost working so hard to love them and forgetting to let myself grieve. And mm-hmm. then it, it hit me like a wall. Because mm-hmm. it was like, this is so positive. We are reunifying a family. This is the goal. Right. This is what we wanted. And yet there is grief. Mm-hmm. We we were her parents for two and a half years. Mm-hmm. We watched big milestones. And those two can coexist. You can experience grief and joy in the same moment. Yeah. 
what did you think reunification was going to look like? And what did it actually end up looking like? Again, it was one of those things we tried not to have expectations. <laughs> yes. Of course, our desire was that we would maintain a relationship with them. But we really didn't know. You know, we had spent a year of time really just investing in each other. Like they came to our house. They, you know, it takes two to tango, right? right. Like they had to be willing to open up to us too. Mm-hmm. And they didn't have to do that. Right. So we're so grateful for them and how they've, really just died to themselves too for the sake of their daughter so that she can thrive. So when we went into reunification, we really didn't know what it was going to look like. At that point, we had been seeing them at our house outside of the scheduled visits. You know, we had established a close relationship as families and we expressed to them, you know, we want to give you privacy, but we also want you to know we're here for you no matter what. Mm -hmm. And we love you and they expressed to us, oh, don't you worry. You're going to be in her life forever, whether you like it or not. And <laughs> we hoped that was true. But we just didn't know. And so as time has gone, it's been about seven months now that she has been reunified. And it's wild to me <laughs> to think where, how far we've come. We see her at least once a week oh. and we text daily. <laughs> we are <laughs> I mean, her mom and I are basically like sisters at this point. Amazing. Um, it, we went and got our nails done. We, like <laughs> we're just, we're friends yeah. and it's very genuine. And I'm truly always, I'm just so consistently amazed at them. Honestly, they have been so incredible. And I think often people who are on the outside of our situation, they, they like praise us. They're like, well, you're just so amazing, you know, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> but I just... I will always say, sing their praises because they, like I said, have, they have opened themselves up to this. They did not have to do that. Right. And they've done it for the sake of their daughter Mm -hmm. and she is thriving. So it's, it's beautiful to watch. Yeah. How now seven months in, how are you doing? How is your foster daughter doing? You just said she's thriving. Yeah. And now that a lot of the hard parts are sort of in hindsight, maybe not completely resolved. No. <laughs> but now that the worst of it, we'll say, is sort of behind you, how are things? Things are good. <laughs> um, I have said many times recently, even my husband has said, you are a different person now. Like mm. you, I can see, like you look me in the eyes again. I mean, it was it was a dark time and I... I really, truly feel like the Lord and his kindness is bringing me back to life. Mm. I don't take for granted the moments that I can look somebody in the eye and be present in a conversation now. That was something that, you know, I took for granted. And our foster daughter, she is thriving. She really is doing so well. She's so amazing. She is intuitive. She understands so much more than we give her credit for. Of course, she, we see her struggling sometimes to, you know, leave our house or transition. And, and it's just more opportunities for us to, we work as a team. Like we help her transition. They take such good care of her and help her to express her feelings. And they walk alongside of her as she's been processing her own grief. So it's been really amazing to watch. Like it's, it hasn't been easy for everybody, but we've chosen to work all together and that's why it's working and that's why everybody is able to thrive now after 
the aftermath. <laughs> yes. What would you say to somebody who's listening right now and is considering foster care? I would say it's going to be the ride of your life <laughs> if you choose to walk through it. I would say I think the best thing that you can do is to take some time to prepare. Mm. I think I look back on that year that we spent just reading books and listening to podcasts and talking to other foster families. That was so crucial to set the groundwork for doing this in a way that was really helpful for the bio family. And I would just say too, you know, start praying now for your heart towards the bio parents. Every message that you get from everybody in this in the case and in the system is going to be against them. Everybody told us they're not going to make it. They're not going to they're not going to do this. Mm. And it would have been so easy for us to latch onto that and create animosity in our own minds towards them and just start praying now that the Lord would soften your heart. Um, no matter what the situation is, you can always honor the parents for choosing life for their child, and you can always honor them in the way that you speak about them. And so that was really big for us. And also, it's something that has changed me in so many positive ways. It has drawn me closer to the Lord and my understanding for how he loves me relentlessly in spite of my myself and my sin. And it has, like I said, in a world where, you know, my kids truly are privileged in a lot of ways. It's been such a huge tool for us as a family to live the gospel out and show our kids that sometimes to love people, there's a high cost, but mm -hmm. it's worth it every time to be uncomfortable for the sake of loving other people. When the Lord prompts you to do something, lean into it. And even if it makes you uncomfortable, most likely it's going to be something that's going to change your life in such a huge way and be so much better than you could have ever imagined. Amen. I know that's been true in my life. So we're talking about family in this series. And my last question for you is centered around that. But for you, when I ask this, I'm thinking about the family pictures that you recently took with your foster daughter and her parents and the shirts that you were all wearing. So if you can tell that story when you answer this question, I think a lot of people would really love to hear it. But okay. the final question is, what is family to you? And what has family taught you about God? To me, family is a place that's safe mm -hmm. and a place that you can just be yourself. Yeah. When my oldest, Jude, was two, he had a lot of gnarly tantrums, <laughs> which nobody would believe me if they met him. But, I mean, we would go on for 20 to 30 minutes of just tantrums. Mm -hmm. And I remember, I don't know who it was, somebody told me, that's the biggest compliment to you because he lets his walls down to you. Because I would say, well, why doesn't he do this, you know, when we go to you know, church or whatever. Like, he doesn't do this to anybody else. It's just me. And that always stuck with me because it really shaped my idea of, of what a family should be. It's a place where you can let your walls down and you're safe to do that. And you're loved in spite of maybe your behavior or whatever yeah. that you do. And I think that that is, that's how God loves us. He, you know, it says in, in Romans 5, 8, he, he shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, he died for us. We didn't have to clean up our act for him. Right. He loves us no matter what. And I think that that has shaped my idea of, of who family is. And I think, you know, yeah, so we did this photo shoot and 
and we saw actually our foster daughter's mom found a shirt at the store that said love makes a family and she she bought it and she's like I got this because it made us think of us Hmm. and I thought oh I mean of course I cried (laughs) I thought that is just so amazing and so then it, it turned into we all got a shirt that said love makes a family. And so we, we took a photo shoot all together of all of us. And it was just so special, you know, like our family is not defined by genetics. Right. <laughs> it's defined by love. Yeah. Um, and that's how God, God's family is the same way. Yeah. So. Yes. I love that. And I just so look forward to how God is going to continue to work in your lives as now this grown family and also in the life of your foster daughter as well. And so we just continue to pray for you guys as you continue to journey together as a family. Thank you. Yeah. So thank you so much, Melinda, for sharing this story. Like I said, it's been a long time coming because it was a tough couple of months. Yeah. But I'm so grateful for how the Lord has brought you through that. And now he gets to be glorified through it, which is amazing. Amen. So thank you so much. Thanks for having me. At the beginning of this episode, I mentioned that it took some time for this interview to happen. Melinda was originally supposed to share her story over the summer, but right after we planned to record our interview, Melinda and Nate found out that their foster daughter would be reunited with her biological parents. And as Melinda shared, she ended up in an intense battle with her mental health. So for obvious reasons, we put the interview on hold. But as Melinda and I reflected together after our conversation, it was so evident that God has perfect timing because he has done so much work in the last several months that Melinda wouldn't have been able to share had we recorded this interview sooner. I appreciate Melinda's transparency in sharing not just her foster care journey, but also her struggles with anxiety and depression. If you attend Calvary Church and this conversation hit close to home, Calvary has a pastoral counseling ministry that might be a great resource for you. To learn more or set up a time to meet with one of our counselors, you can send an email to care at calvarychurch.org. Our team would love to walk alongside you. As always, don't forget to subscribe to the Pursuing Life podcast so you don't miss any upcoming episodes. Thanks so much for tuning in and have a great week.